0: Isn't it cool that we get to study a book of the Bible together in church on Sunday mornings that we get more than a glance at a truth, but we get to see kind of how a lot of truths work together under the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're beginning this morning. I'm excited about this. First and Second Thessalonians. You know, if you look at the uh, stained glass, you see the Lamb of God who has conquered through the cross. You see that that battle standard is the cross. A lot of what we're going to be looking at in First and Second Corinthians has to do with the fact that Christ has won, that we can count on Him while we're living our lives right here. That He's coming again. Uh, the the name of the series is called Growing, Going gone. Those are the three main themes of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, growing together in community under Christ, going to the watching world with a strong testimony to Christ as we live in this world. And then gone has to do with the fact that Christ is coming again and uh, that he is going to conquer all things and, and make everything right. This morning, I'd like to just start with the first paragraph Of First Thessalonians and I would encourage you please read the books of first and second Thessalonians between services maybe read it once a week kind of uh, realize I'll be uh, handling about five or six more verses generally uh, the next week and and maybe do some praying about about these books uh, on your own in in this life. Now, next week, I'm going to introduce you to the ancient city of Thessalonica, an amazing place. Get some historical backgrounds. We can really get some understanding what God did there. But I'm going to put that off to next week. This morning, I just want to talk to you about the power of a letter. The power of a handwritten letter. So, So you are... Wrestling in your life with some different challenges. Some of them are uh, more long-term challenges. You, you don't really see them going away. Uh, maybe you've got some stress from some things going on, and and somebody writes you a handwritten note or letter of an encouragement. That that means something, actually. Um, in fact, I, I want you to know I got a handwritten letter of encouragement from a 20-something-year-old uh, member of this church a few weeks ago. And uh, I say that because you would never expect it from the digital generation. I was like, whoa, this is real. There's like molecules here. You know, there's a stamp here. And uh, and look, the encouragement was just as real as the letter. This is a handwritten letter to the church in Thessalonica and it is so encouraging and I want to begin with the first three the first paragraph first Thessalonians 1 1 through 3 and this is the word of God Paul Silvanus some of your translations call him Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father And in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly remembering you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ in this first paragraph Paul reminds them of three things in our lives that we need to be reminded he reminds them who they are who they've been and who they're going to be you and i need this today the first is he reminds them who they actually are verse one to the church of the thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he calls them the church of the Thessalonians. And by that, he doesn't mean the building. He means who they are. No, no, no. Not just that they go to a church, you know. You go to a church. Don't you hate that language? I go to a church. No, you don't go to a church. We are the church. In fact, we need to remember that the New Testament Greek word for church is ekklesia. Ekklesia. Ekklesia means those who are called out by God Himself. They're very special people that God has loved. God has called us out from darkness into His light. He has called us out into a relationship with Him. He has called us out into a uh, relationship with one another. That's who you are. You are the church of the Thessalonians. And, and look, we, we need to remember, we all need uh, Christ, we are the church, and we need a church. I love the fact that he says the church of the Thessalonians because there's kind of this thing today where we go, well, the church is just all the believers in the world. I don't have to be a part of a, a real church with real people and share their real struggles and them share mine. No, it is the church of the Thessalonians. Do you get it? This is like right here on planet Earth. These are people together that have been called out to share life together. But look at verse one, the the church of the Thessalonians in God, the father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, they are in Thessalonica, but more importantly, their location isn't that city. They are the church in Thessalonica in God, the father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's their primary address. We belong to God. We are His. You know, spelling out these titles, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul's trying to say is, God's called you out, and these are titles of authority. This is about God's sovereignty over you. I know you're going through a hard time, and I'm going to give you a sneak peek at what they're going through in a minute. But look, you belong to him. You're the called out ones. You're the church. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God the Father. You are hidden. Colossians 3 says your life is hidden in Christ, in God. He's got you. You're the church and he's got you. You are in him. See, their, their location isn't just struggling in Thessalonica. It is... In Thessalonica, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that's, that's us. Do You know, whatever it is that we're wrestling with, whatever it is that we see in front of us that just isn't budging, moving like we want it to, to move, that we're threatened by, whatever it is, you need to understand, your, your address isn't struggling in Jackson, in Ridgeland, or Madison. It is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on further to say he, he, he bids them a life of grace and peace. You know, it's interesting, that's like um, the typical greeting in an ancient letter, except for Paul changes the word from, from kind of like happiness to grace. He Christianizes the the, the typical, you know, like to whomever it may concern, is kind of a typical salutation. Man, he just brings Jesus right in the middle of this and says, hey, we're the called out ones in God, the Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we can live, and I want you to live a life of grace and peace. You know, by grace, he just means that we're accepted by God on the basis of what Christ has done on the cross. Um, Our salvation is earned by God, right? This is why we never have to worry we're going to lose our salvation because we didn't earn it and we can't lose it. It's just a gift, a sheer gift by what God has done. And y'all, living in the grace of God means that God has loved us at our absolute worst. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly He gave us full salvation that will last throughout eternity. You need to understand this. We we don't need to live in fear whether God's going to love me tomorrow. We don't need to try to to earn our salvation. We don't need to try to get God to like us. And a lot of people feel that way about God. We need to celebrate the fact that God loves us because of what he's done for us. This is freedom. Freedom. You're the called out ones. Live in freedom and grace. And then he says grace and peace. Peace to you. And and peace here doesn't mean the absence of hostility. And it's not like, you know, peace. Like I got the kids to bed and, you know, we're not going to have any more food fights. uh, And the homework's over and all the struggles in the homework's over. And finally we have peace. That's not what he's talking about. Peace here is rooted in the Old Testament word shalom, the New Testament word irene. It means well-being. You see, freedom in the love of God that will never be retracted from us, freedom to be able to live confidently in God's love gives us peace. One scholar says grace and peace are twin sisters. Grace was born first and where she lives, peace thrives. Where grace is stunted, peace shrivels. Why is that? Because you can't have wholeness if you're just trying to cobble this thing together on your own and terribly afraid your life's not going to be what it's supposed to be. You're going to miss out on this. You're not good enough at this. You should have done that. You should have done the other. No, uh uh-uh. No, we're going to live on the basis of what God has done in his free love that is given to us regardless. And we'll repent of our sins, we will praise the Lord, and there will be well-being of our soul as we walk in grace, grace and peace. And then he says, and you're really well prayed for. You're the called out ones who can live in grace and peace, and you're really prayed for because we really thank God for you. We, You are very important to us, Paul, Silas, and, and Timothy. Verse 2, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Now, I don't know how you feel when somebody says to you and you kind of know they mean it, look, I'm praying for you. you. You matter to me and I'm praying for you. Can I tell you that, the older I get, and maybe the older I get in Jesus, I don't know. That means more to me than it ever has. I think, I think the more life we live, the more we realize we don't have everything we need to have the life that God wants to give us. We've got weaknesses. There are things that we, we certainly can't control. You know, and when somebody says, I am praying for you. You know, we have not because we ask not, and yet God is sovereign. I don't know how it works. I just know that when people are lifted up before the throne of grace, God, in his, in his character and who he is, he answers those prayers. Do you have people in your life that say, I am praying for you? It, it matters. So who are they? They're the called-out ones, called out by God into a relationship with Him and each other. They are in God and the Lord Jesus Christ, safe in God, in Thessalonica. Things can't really touch them in, in a sense because that's who they really are, where, where they live. Um, they have an opportunity for a life of freedom and wholeness that comes from knowing God through the free grace of God of god and and the removal of constant fear and dread and disappointment based on our works Um, they are prayed for all the time that's who they are how would you like it if somebody sent you a letter and reminded you of just who god is to you what the opportunities are and they're praying for you All the time because they really love you. That matters. Let me tell you something. This letter is written to you. You touch the page. It says like touch the screen, feel the power. Touch the page. Uh, It's there. This is a handwritten letter that's been reprinted. And it's to us as well as the Thessalonians. So that's who they are. Secondly, he says, I want to talk to you about who you've been. You know, this is important because um give you a little sneak preview uh next week we'll talk more about this but you know paul went to thessalonica and he with 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 uh, silas and timothy he started preaching the gospel and some people came to know the lord and this church was established and one of the first things that happened i'm talking about within three weeks there was incredible persecution it was kind of a riot you know maybe small r riot And some of the new believers were beaten. A guy named Jason was beaten, and some of them were thrown into prison, and Paul had to leave. Paul had to kind of they got Paul out of there. Paul went to Berea and then he went to Athens. Paul sent Timothy back going, What is happening to this new, brand new, vulnerable little church? And I and I'm gone. Timothy comes back and gives Paul a report that just you know, I'm sure he just weeps with joy. Oh, oh, no, they really are called out. They really are in God and the Lord Jesus Christ. They, they really are living by grace and peace. They're doing great. Other people are coming to know the Lord. Paul, it's amazing what God is doing in their lives. But see, here's the point the situation's not changing. You know, we've got this little thing as Americans that, you know, like this, it's almost like a formula. If we do this plus that plus this equals what I want. You know, if we, we just live, you know, and, and, and love God every day and do what is right, then, then things, all the, the things I would like are going to happen to me. That is not the case. No, God's going to be with us in the midst of grave difficulty. And sometimes we really are fighting the good fight. And, you know, it's not that we need to do something different. We're just tired. We need what Paul gives. We need need someone to encourage us. It means to give courage, encourage. We need someone to say, you know what? Don't look for some magic answer. Stay away from Barnes & Noble. Stay away from that self-help section of the bookstore. You know, actually what you're doing is is spot on. God's in this. and, and And he's talking about who they've been, even though things aren't changing the way they would like for it to change. Do you have things in your life that just aren't changing the way you'd like for them to change? Maybe it's a matter of just living with God and being encouraged in this kind of life. Who they've been? Verse 3. We are constantly remembering before God, the Father, here it is, your work of faith, your labor of love, and the, your steadfastness of hope, and this is exciting, because this is like what believers do. Um, they are walking with with the Lord. So Paul affirms them. Um, faith, hope, and love—it's kind of he gets them a little out of order from norm, you know. This time it's. Faith, love, and hope. But, you know, faith hope, faith, hope, and love, that's the big three for Paul. You know, we read in First Corinthians 13, these three remain. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Uh, we read in, in different places uh, that Paul, and he gets them in different orders. Like, this, this is what it looks like. You want to you know what a, what a life in the midst of, of, of having to face things? Which, that's called life in a fallen world. That's just code for life in a fallen world. What it looks like, it looks like faith, hope, and love. Um, this is shorthand for the life that grace produces. This is shorthand for God's really changing you. He's really giving you the ability in the face of this to have faith, love in this category, this case, and hope. So I want to I look at these um, The first is a faith that produces works. This this only means that the grace of God in your life is active in the world. Look, we don't need to be afraid of the word work. I mean, we know works cannot merit salvation, right? We're not talking about salvation here. We're talking about believers up to their eyeballs in persecution. No, works, action response to grace in the world is exactly what god does through grace leon Mars put this way that 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 our life is a life of grace but it's a busy life there's a lot to see a lot to respond to a lot to initiate toward in the christian life and um what what he's saying is is you know You are struggling right now and you're stressed out by these things in your life, but but you keep ministering to people even though it's dangerous. Grace really is at work here. You keep doing ministry. You keep going, even though it could cost you your life. Let me ask you a question. How about you? Do you have a heart to serve God? Is your faith, and James says, without works faith is dead is your faith producing action do you say you know because I'm a believer I'm captured by grace I want to do x I want to do y you know I want to be a part of the solution in this world and let me tell you living with Jesus and and flowing out of grace is a part of the solution for you because that's what real life in the spirit is all about this is where meaning begins to catch up with us as our faith becomes action so faith produces works secondly and it's very similar he talks about a love that produces labor now there we go we went from works to labor that's not popular in 2015 you know the greek word here for labor it means toil that produces sweat your love that produces labor maybe we could put it this way The love of Christ in our life causes us to go the second mile in how we show love to other people. That we're not always measuring how much do they love us. You know, there's these these little chintzy little scales. We we measure out love. If they love us, we'll love them and blah, blah, blah. Ah, no, No, we're actually going to labor to love people and that includes people that are not lovely that includes people that drive us crazy that includes the very situations that that are difficult because look the thessalonians they are right in the teeth of persecution those are the exact people that they love and they're getting beaten for doing it and yet there's like this this momentum that's picking up in thessalonica Uh, the more they get thrown into prison the more they love the more people say that's real i want that not to get beaten But to be able to know God and have this this incredible response to the difficult things in our lives. John Calvin, in his treatment of this passage, makes a wonderful statement. Love is laborious. I mean, look, anybody that's married understands this concept. Love is laborious. I mean, if you're married, that means you get what you want all the time, right? Right? I and mean, one of the things we say sometimes at weddings is, is marriage is a death. I mean, what a great thing to say at a happy occasion like a, a wedding. We don't, we don't mean that your life's over like some people think your life is over. Well, those are people who don't get it. Because what they're saying is their life is about what they want. No, our life is over as we've known. Our life is now about the other person. Do you understand? You know, this, this is love is laborious. Anybody that has children, you know love is laborious. Those of you who take care of elderly parents, love is laborious, right? This is what the Spirit of God in our life does. And there they are, you know, they're they're facing all this. And Paul says, let me remind you who you are. But you know what? Let's don't look for a magic answer. You're doing what God wants you to do. Keep going. Let me encourage you. The pressure is on, and they just keep loving. You know, you and I sometimes do love and love, and sometimes the, the, the person or the situation is not changing. But I'm going to tell you, that's the only way it will change, truly. I mean, yeah, you could intimidate somebody, and they could stop doing something, but they feel just the same way they feel about you. In their heart, nothing will actually transform another person or situation other than love. And you know it's true. I'm not talking about getting somebody to stop something. I'm talking about where something actually heals and becomes more what God wants it to be. So faith, he says, keep going. Your faith produces work or action. Ergon is the word. Your love of Christ Produces labor. And then he says that they have a hope that produces steadfastness, or what we would call endurance. Okay, there's another unpopular word endurance. Why is endurance unpopular? Because that means I'm stuck with this for a long time. That is exactly what it means. And it means God is up to this, and God is actually going to change our hearts and heal us through faith love and hope you got to understand this this isn't just about getting something to change God changes us in the midst of the cauldron in the midst of the challenges do you you know that's true right this is what God in the gospel in his grace does in our lives this is primarily how we change Sometimes the larger point in our life is not getting somebody to change, but the fact that God changed us. Sometimes God changed us and we saw that person differently. We didn't even demand the same things we used to because sometimes it was more about us than them to begin with. We just didn't like something. A hope that produces endurance. Verse 3, we are constantly remembering before our God your work of faith, labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we need to talk about this endurance. This is not the same thing as we think of. You know, there's a great book called Endurance about Sir Ernest Shackleton that was going to the South Pole and the boat got crushed by the ice about halfway there and they had to walk all the way back on the ice. Now, that's endurance. You know, that's just kind of weathering the storm whatever it is, by sheer power of will and mental toughness. Y'all read that book, Endurance. It's it's incredible. This is not that kind of endurance. It's not just being resigned to make it through things. You know, sometimes we say, hey, when the going gets tough, I'll get tougher. Well, let me tell you something. While that's laudable, just getting tougher doesn't change our hearts. No, no. What we need to do is get open to God. Let him change us as we continue to love and he changes the situation. This endurance comes through hope in Christ. You see, we talk about hope. We almost talk about it like a wish, don't we? I hope that this will happen. I hope my team will win. By the way, I'm an Auburn graduate. I got delivered from idolatry for the year. I am free, baby. Now, I don't know about you, other people in Mississippi with your teams. Y'all are still in bondage to idolatry and the possibilities. Not me. No, I'm free. Biblical hope's not a wish. Biblical hope is based on what is certain. What God has said, what He has done, what He will do again, what He has promised to do. See, that's why hope leads to endurance. That's why absolutely heroic behavior comes from knowing that good is ahead, knowing that God is for us, knowing that our hope is sure. You can put up with a whole lot if you know how this thing ends and it's good. That is an unfair advantage that Christians have. This is certain. This is confident expectation based on Truth, you know the Greek word here is one of the most incredible words in the New Testament. It's hoopamone, hoopamone, and uh, it's very interesting. And you need to understand what hoopamone is. Hoopamone doesn't just mean endurance because of hope. Are you ready for this? Hoopamone contains within it an incredible idea that that you just wouldn't have without Jesus and, and His grace in your life. Um, It's more than getting through, quote, it portrays a way of taking on problems and suffering, not just by enduring, but also by looking for how the problem creates opportunities. This is amazing. This is what hoopamone means. Hope produces opportunistic endurance. Now we just added a layer. We know how the story's going to end. We know God is in it for good. And we know God wants to work within us in the midst of this junk. And in the difficulty, we'll spring forth opportunities that we can seize on that would have never been there with people had we not gone through this together. You see, this is how God works. I hate to tell you this again. God works in our life by turning up the heat. God works in these situations. And, and, you know, you get in these situations and you have the ability to love where folks go, wow, that was supernatural. it, It opens opportunities, you see. Even the bad situations are opening into opportunities. You know, how do you respond to something that's really unfair? That in itself is an opportunity to show grace and faith as well as truth. Um, This is how we endure in Christ. God is sovereign. God is over this. He loves me. This is a confident expectation. And our trials become new opportunities to show Christ to people. What a way to live. And it's just like flipping the whole thing. This isn't, I'm going to get you. This is this is a new opportunity for me to love you. This is an opportunity to show a shaft of blinding grace that is alien, obviously to this situation, and utterly alien to the way our world works. My goodness, Paul demonstrates this when he gets thrown in prison, doesn't he? Paul gets thrown in prison. Paul spent years in prison. What's Paul say when he gets thrown in prison. This is great. I'm chained to people who are going to hear the gospel from me every day. And they, they switch out these guards. I mean, you know, you've heard it said before from the pulpit. It's so true. Can you imagine getting chained to the Apostle Paul? And him considering that hupomone that in my suffering a new opportunity just arose and you are it. <laughs> you know, the the Philippian jailer, that, that's how he came to Christ, right? You know, the 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 door is open and he's going to get killed if this prisoner escapes. And he wakes up and he goes, oh, no, I'm dead. And Paul goes, no, you're not. We're still here. We're still here. We're trusting God. And he says, what kind of people are you? I want that. That was suffering prison that turned into, that was hoopamone. That was hope that turned into opportunity. Can we endure in whatever it is that, that we go through? Can we endure by knowing the path was laid out by God himself? Do you believe God's sovereign? I mean, you think that, you know, like, you know, like the devil just kind of hijacked the whole world and especially your life and God's out of control and this is a runaway locomotive. Is that what you think? It's not true. No, God actually has laid out the path um, and God loves us and we endure because our hope is sure that's real spiritual power. So he talks about who they are, you know, the church of the Thessalonians in Christ, etc. Who they've been. Hey, don't, don't, don't look for a magic pill. Just keep doing what you're doing. Y'all are amazing. And the church is growing. This actually has become opportunity that people wouldn't even notice y'all. They want Christ because of the way you're responding. And then lastly, who they're going to be. This has to do with the hope that we have, how it is the long-term hope. Y'all do know that, right? This is the hope of heaven. This is the hope of the second coming. Um, You cannot talk about hoopomone hope in the midst of endurance, uh, rather, in the midst of, of uh, difficulty, without talking about the second coming. Why? Because first and Second Corinthians, ev- at the end of every chapter in First Corinthians is something about the second coming. Why? Because that 's what people in the first century, one of the main stays in their life to encourage them today was the sure and certain hope of christ 's return tomorrow. Now, I know, look, the more we are attached and the more we're infatuated with this life, sometimes the less we think about the life to come. People who are being beat up and in prison and getting fired just because they were Christians are not thinking that way. One of the great comforts to the early church was the second coming of Christ. Do you realize that by the the time that the persecutions under Diocletian, which is like the all-time high number of Christians dying. Do you realize that by that time, fully one-tenth of the entire Roman Empire had become Christian? That's amazing! How'd they do that? Because every time they got together, Jesus came for us, Jesus died for us, Jesus reigns, And Jesus is coming again, and this is our certain hope. And we can live in this persecution knowing that this is certain. We can live heroically if we got that hope. I want to close with a story. In the book, which I referred to about three weeks ago, and now second reference, you really ought to read this book. Um, the book is The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. Uh, you learn a lot about suffering and faith in this book. Uh, Corrie Ten Boom and her family were discovered to be aiding Jewish people in Holland. They were sent to the same concentration camps and met the same fate as the Jews did. She gets separated from her parents and they all die. I mean, this doesn't have a happy ending, okay? Does everything have have to have a happy ending for God to be in it? That's right, thank you. No. So, Corey and Betsy actually go to Buchenwald prison together or concentration camp together. Corey cannot adjust to the cruelty, the shaming, the denigration, the filth, all this stuff that if you put it all together equals concentration camp, she just can't deal with it. She writes this in the book. Except for one person. And that was her sister Betsy. She, she said, I, I just can't believe my sister Betsy. Now Betsy's the quiet one. But... Here they are in the midst of all this. And Corey's like, Did you see that happen? You know, those people can burn in hell or something like that. You know, maybe that's kind of the way she felt. And Betsy would say, This is an incredible opportunity for ministry. People are losing hope all around us, and we've got the hope in Jesus. Betsy had, in the midst of of just this horrible treatment, she had this really radiant smile. And and she would speak these words about hoopamone, about opportunity. In fact, um, that's one of the ways Corey Tim Boom got through the concentration camp, at least in the, the first part, is that she just wouldn't know what to do. She just had to look at her sister, and everything would turn right side up. Well, there is a, um, there's a very touching scene in this book where um, Corey goes looking for. For Betsy, Betsy was taken off with a bunch of people and she presumes to be killed, to be executed. Corey's terrified. Uh, Corey makes her way around the camp and sure enough, there's just a heap, you know, like just thrown a bunch of bodies, just thrown, there's a heap of dead bodies. And it was really easy, she said, to spot Betsy. You know why? Because of her face. Because even in death, She was smiling. That is powerful. That's gospel hope. Stephen had something like that. You know, right as he was getting stoned to death, he saw Jesus stand at the right hand of God the Father. He knew there was a better country, you know, there's a better city. Betsy always believed that. Corey struggled with believing that. But let me tell you, she didn't struggle when she saw the radiant face with eyes closed of her sister in a heap of bodies. She got it. Endurance comes from hope. This thing's not up for grabs, y'all. This thing is sure. The future is secure. Yes, God can bring change here. But God doesn't always bring change at the speed that we would like for Him to. Nor does He always bring the change that we are asking Him to bring. But He is at work. He can be trusted and we can hope and have an endurance that looks for opportunities in the midst of the mud and yuck of what it is that we face. Okay. So you're struggling right here in Jackson, Ridgeland, Madison, etc. And maybe it's hard and maybe it's not changing. I want you to know something. God has written a handwritten letter to you. You can touch it. That's to you, not just to the Thessalonians. And um, in just the first paragraph, he changed my whole life this week. This letter did with one paragraph. I got readjusted. We're going to study the whole book. It gets better. So let me just finish. Who are you? You're the called out of darkness into light, into relationship with God, into relationship with one another. You are in Jackson area, yes, but you're in Jackson area struggling. In God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, who loves you, has you, is sovereign over you. You have grace and peace to live into, and in the freedom of the gospel. You mean something to people, and they can pray for you. And you have a, can have a faith that produces work, love that labors for others, and a hope that endures because the future is sure. That's a good start, don't you think? Let's pray. Lord, it is a good start to this letter. God, you just caught us right where we are, like you always do with your word. Lord, would you encourage people today by the reality of your sovereignty and your grace, and not just for the present, but for the future. Lord, would you help us not just lay things down but would you help us to open our hearts to you? Lord, we know that the final answer for mankind was and is love. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And Lord, we also know that just as you have loved us, we are to love others. Would you give us the ability in the midst of things that trouble us, in the midst of things that are hard, in the midst of things that seem like the concrete is dried and they're not changing, would you give us faith and love and hope? And would you bring change in this world to us and in this world to others through the gospel? In Jesus' name, amen.